Yes, and good morning to you. Wow, what a great worship set. Amen. Can we give the Lord a round of applause? Yeah. I am, I tell you, I just got to be honest with you. I'm pretty big on our worship team, and I'm standing over there against the wall. Sometimes I do that. I just go over and stand and listen. You sing, and you're singing so wonderfully. But I'm just so grateful for the team that God has put on this stage week after week, their hard work. And then the guys you never see, the tech team back there making everything else happen. We are blessed. I, I said it again. Sometimes, you know, me and God talk out loud every once in a while. And uh, so I said, God, what are you, just what are you doing here? I said, my goodness, we're so blessed, and I really feel that way, and I want to thank you for coming. There's eight zillion churches you could go to, but today you chose to come to Doorsville, and my prayer today is that when you leave, you'll say it was good. It was good to be in the house of the Lord. Well, here we are. We're in week number three of Ghostbusters. We're getting the ghost before they get you. And today we want to talk about one of the biggest, hairiest, scariest ghosts, and that is the ghost of rejection, when we feel rejected. And it was really kind of funny because I planned this message all around, you know, the, what, what we do about when we feel rejected, you know, and that's where I was going to go. And then all of a sudden, God did a left or right turn and changed it. And I want to talk to you about today about this glorious God and this wonderful Savior and how he was rejected so that we could be accepted. He was rejected so that we could be accepted. He was rejected so there could be a new Jamal. He, he was rejected so there could be a new Bobby Lee on the back row. And then look to the person to your left or to the right. And, and he was rejected so that each one of us could have the opportunity to be something new in Christ Jesus. Something that only he could do by doing what he did. And I just want to share with you today the great story of his sacrifice for us. It simply is amazing. So let's look at our intro, okay? Our intro says this. Our intro says this. Maybe, maybe our intro doesn't say that. All right, here we go. Our intro says this. The rejection is that terrible dark. There we go. That rejection is that terrible darkness. That, have you ever been rejected? You know, it may have been on the playground when you were three. I talk about that a lot. You know, you, All the kids are selected besides you, and you feel this rejection. It could be when you finally got the courage, guys. You finally got the courage to ask the girl out to prom, and she said no. She said, no, I don't think so. Or, or perhaps, you know, you were waiting to be asked and you weren't asked and you felt rejection that way. Um, maybe it's a mom or dad who walked away from you. Maybe it was a promotion that you were wanting at work and it didn't happen. Maybe, maybe it's the neighborhood and you know that you're not really welcome in that neighborhood for whatever reason. Maybe that's it. But we've all felt rejection. But rejection is that terrible darkness of not being wanted or accepted. And again, most of us, to some degree, have felt that thing. This is something your pastor really wrestles with in his life. He, I mean, I just got to be honest with you. It's a big deal in my life, this exception rejection thing. But here's the answer. We got to believe. We got to believe that when God accepts you, okay, when God accepts you, it doesn't matter who else has rejected you? And if I could give you a, if you're a, a wife here today and, and your husband has rejected you either through um, another partner, another person, or perhaps you find out he's addicted to pornography and he's choosing a digital picture over you. Perhaps maybe that's it. You know, you need to know something that it doesn't matter. His rejection is painful and it's wrong. 
But I want you to know it's God accepting you that matters. It's God. And kids, when your parents just don't really accept you well, some parents really struggle being parents. You know what? You need to know this, that man, God accepts you. And that's really all that really matters. So, so I want to talk today about that very, very fact. You know, Pete Briscoe said this. Pete's a, a teacher that I read uh, through the email. And here's what Pete Briscoe said. You know, don't label yourself. Don't label, label yourself with anything except the label you have in Christ. Now, this is for Jesus, people. And every one of you going to have the opportunity to be a Jesus, people, before this service is over. But that's for Jesus, people. Don't, don't allow yourself to be labeled with anything except the label that you have in Christ Jesus. And listen to these words. I just thought they're really good. You know, empowered and empowered. Um, embraced, embraced. And I love this word. I don't think I've ever thought of this word before as God looking at me, adored. Hey, adored. Hey, empowered, embraced, adored child of God. We talk about, you know, you know, we adore Jesus, but have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus adores you? Jesus adores you. Maybe you just think God tolerates you. God signed a deal with you, so he has to keep you in the family. No, no, no. He adores you, an adored child of God, indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And the cool part is, for those of us who wrestle with rejection, and because we wrestle with rejection, you know, sometimes we have a problem accepting others. The cool part is, when, when you start seeing you as God sees you, then you're going to be able to see others as God sees them too. It's just a really, 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 really cool thing. So our teaching point goes something like this. You know, Louis Gigolo, he's a teacher, again, a Bible teacher, says the only thing that will help us move past the giant of rejection. So if you're here today and you, now listen, I'm not, my own, I'm not alone in my camp with this, okay? So if you, if you find yourself with this giant of rejection in your life, okay, the only thing that's going to help you move past it, it's not losing 30 pounds. It's not growing hair, okay? You know, it's not. It's, here's the thing. The only thing that'll help us move past the giant of rejection is to immerse ourselves in the acceptance of Christ. When you realize just how much God accepts you through his son, that's when you get past the giant. Jesus was rejected so that we could be accepted. All right, if you're a note taker, that's a big one, okay? Jesus was rejected so we could be accepted. I love what I said earlier about Jamal. You know, Jesus was rejected so that Jamal could be accepted. But it's not just the guys who serve time. It's not the guys with, you know, with a drug habit or a pornography habit or whatever it might be. It's not just those people. Every one of us, the Bible says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Christ was rejected so that all we folks who don't deserve to be accepted could be accepted. I just think that's totally incredible. It's an amazing story of grace and love, and that's exactly what it is. Now, now we're going to start out gentle. Um, we're going to start out benign, all right, and, and found in Psalm 118.22. Uh, here's a real nice benign verse, okay? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Again, sometimes when we see when people are going through rejection, we really empathize, oh man, I really hurt for them, I hurt for her, okay? But this is kind of a benign verse. The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And, and here's the deal, that stone is not really a rock, it's the Lord, well, it is the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ and, and his people and the religious elite. And honestly, 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 in the world today, so many people reject him 
But the cool part is, he is the cornerstone. And this is benign, because when we think about rocks, we don't think about emotions. See, I mean, when you got engaged, you know, and your, and your fiancé gave you the rock, or maybe, maybe you went down to the jewelry store and picked out the rock, okay? And you finally picked out the one. And, you know, when you left, all the other rocks weren't going, oh, no, she didn't pick me, she didn't pick me. And the reason why is because rocks don't have emotion. But I want you to understand, you're going to see that this stone has emotion. It, this stone could feel the rejection, but could also feel the power of acceptance. The stone that the builders rejected has now become the corner stone. Now, our teaching point is the rejection of Christ. We're going to talk about that all, all time that we have together. The rejection of Christ, especially his death. Rejection of Christ, especially his death, is in every sense of the word, ugly and yet beautiful. Do you understand the death that Jesus endured, again, was outlawed for Roman citizens? You could not crucify a Roman citizen. The aliens, the people like the Jews, they more than gladly crucified them. But, but, but a Roman citizen could not be. It was called the death of deaths. The, the point was not only for you to die, but to die the worst death you could die. Okay, that, that's what the crucifixion was all about. It's yeah, ugly, and yet it's beautiful. Wait, what do you mean it's beautiful? Because in that death, Jesus paid the price that we could have forgiveness. In that, in that death, Jesus paid the price that your, now listen now, your sins could be forgiven. Whether you've got a really short sin list, you know, you've been in Sunday school since you were three, or whether you've got a really song list and you served time in a prison somewhere, Okay, or maybe maybe last night, you know, you were shooting up something and you decided to get up and come to church. Okay, or maybe you watched something or maybe you did something. Okay, regardless, you know, his death is beautiful because it provides forgiveness for all of us. His gruesome sacrifice made possible our glorious salvation. His gruesome death. I, I'm assuming most of y'all at one point or another, you know, watched Mel Gibson's uh, the, the Crucifixion of Christ. And I watched it, I think, one time. It was so horrifically horrible, I could not watch it twice. And yet that's exactly what it was. That's the whole point. We have candy. Woohoo! We have candied up the cross. We have candied up the cross and made it sweet and made it painless. But it was anything but. It was painful. It was rejection. It was shame as he held, stood naked or hung naked before the entire crowd that day. It was everything, and yet it's beautiful because it made possible our glorious salvation. In Psalm 118, 23, the this, this next verse, it says, this is, this is the Lord's doing. What is? This is the rejection, the pain. Get this, the rejection, the pain, the suffering, the shame, all of that. Look what it says. This is the Lord's doing. This is the Lord's doing. There were no accidents on that Good Friday. There were no accidents at all. It was all planned out specifically. The trial and all of that, it was all planned according to what God's plan was. And it was acted out. There was not one single mistake made that day. It was the Lord's doing. And it is wonderful to see. I know that sounds so counterintuitive, but it's not. But it's not. 
His rejection and His suffering were for us. So there we are. That's the setup. Now we're going to go back now 2,700 years. We're going to go back 700 years before Christ. And we're going to read something that being able to look back 2,000 years to that Friday, you would think it was written like the day after, not 700 years before. But it so painfully and yet beautifully portrays the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all found and begins in Isaiah 53, 3. He was despised. He was despised. The word there carries the idea of being contemptible. So I said, you know, myself, sometimes you need to do this. I said, well, let me look at that word and see what that word means. And so here's some definition of what it means. It means beneath consideration. In other words, hey, once again, guys, if you're sitting there, you're going to invite a girl to the prom, you're going to get your short list. You know, I know, you, you got a short list. Well, let's see. Her, yeah, she's, on, she's number one, she's number two, she's number three, number four. And, and, and then on your little short list, there's some girl, I wouldn't even consider her. Or then, you know, ladies, I want to leave y'all out. You know, you're going, well, I'm going to pick, I'm gonna, I know who's going to ask me the prom out, and there's no way I would go with him. Okay, that's the idea of being beneath consideration. When when the Bible says he's despised and contemptible, contemptible, he is beyond or beneath consideration. He is. This is Jesus. He's worthless. He's worthless. Um, he. It means des, des, deserving of scorn. Not only not only did we not only did we scorn Jesus, we thought him worthy of being scorned. That's what the prophet says. And then in case you're really, well, what do you tell us? Tell us how you really feel, Isaiah. The next definition is utterly worthless. He was despised and he was rejected. And rejected for the cause, what? That we could be accepted. He was a man of sorrows. I know, I know, we, we think Jesus as God's son didn't feel these emotions. He didn't feel the pain of rejection. Um, it's like somehow he got a free, you know, somehow he got a free pass, free pass. You know, the nails didn't hurt, the spear didn't hurt, the crown of thorns didn't hurt, you know, the, the inability to breathe as he's hung on the cross. He has to strain and pull up to breathe, and then the pain in his hands so great, he collapses back on the cross. And slowly he suffocates to death. But he gets a free pass because he's God in the flesh. No, he doesn't. He's 100% man. He was a man of sorrow. He was acquainted with deepest grief. He didn't go to the library and read about grief. He didn't interview somebody about grief. He knew grief. One of my dear friends is still hurting from the loss of her husband. And I look at the grief in her eyes. And it would be so foolish of me to say, you know what, I know exactly how you're feeling. I don't! I've not lost the dearest person on earth to me. But a person who has experienced that, they're acquainted, they know it, they feel that deepest grief. And maybe there's something you're going through where you can say, you know, I can identify with that grief. I lost a child. You can identify the grief, a grief that I can't. Well, he was not, again, he didn't read about grief. He experienced the deepest grief. 
Go with me to the Garden of Gethsemane. We don't, we don't, even, we don't, we don't even need to make it to the cross to find about this grief. Let's go to the garden. The Lord's Supper is done. The, the Last Supper is done. The Passover is done. And they leave the room and they go to the garden. And, and he tells the guys, nine of them, he says, okay, listen, you know, y'all stay back. Hey, you, Peter, James, and John, you come with me. And he goes a little further and he bears his soul. Now keep in mind, this is the one about to be nailed to a cross. This is the one who was rejected so you could be accepted. What's its word say? In Matthew chapter uh, 26 and verse 38, he says this. My soul, my soul is crushed. Is crushed with grief. Do you sense the emotion of that? Do you feel it? My soul is crushed like a grape in the press. We put the grapes in the, in the press and, and you stomp on them until the juice runs free. My soul is crushed with grief. Or perhaps like an olive tree that bears its fruit and they put the, the olives in the press and a huge stone rolls over it and smashes it down until the oil runs free. My soul is grief, crushed with grief to the point of death. We have made it to the cross. This is just the grief before the cross. Knowing, knowing what that is going to be all about causes him to say, I'm crushed to the point of death. And he tells the three guys, hey, stay with me and pray with me so I don't have to do this alone. And boy, I read something by Max Lucado, and it's one of those times when the words just came alive. He, and the Bible says, you know, in, in Matthew, that Jesus fell on the ground face down. And Max Lucado said something that's got to be totally accurate. He said he can just imagine as his face is matted with dirt, as he's face down in the dirt, and as his hands are digging into the dirt, as he's digging into dirt, as, as dirt impacts the fingernails, as he digs into the dirt. And he says, oh, Father, oh, Father, if there's any way, if there's any way, this all can pass from me, please. Let it be. But then he said the hardest prayer that we ever are called to pray. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. That's the grief that Jesus experienced. That, that deepest, that hardest grief. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted firsthand with first knowledge of Greece. And then in the second part of verse number 53, it says, we turned our backs on him. We turned our backs on him. When, it's true in the Muslim culture, by the way, but it's also true in Jewish culture. And you've seen, if you ever saw, like the fiddler on the roof, um, one of those movies where the child, where the child just goes too far. It may be marrying a Gentile. It may be something else. But finally, the father says, enough! And he turns his back on his son. And in doing so, he is saying, you are dead to me. You are now a non-person. It's as if you were never born. That's what it means. We turned our backs on him. Jesus says, if you were never born, 
That your birth, your birth didn't matter and neither did your death. And I know, I know, I know. It's hard for us Jesus people to ever believe that. But the truth is, that's what we would have done. That's what the crowd did that day. And that's what culture does outside these walls. Because they don't understand the sacrifice. And that's where we come in to help them to understand it. We turned our backs on him and we looked the other way. You get angry. You watch the news and the stories about a woman who was brutally attacked by several men as the crowd stood by and did nothing. They chose to look the other way. That's what happened. That's that grief that Jesus went through. He was acquainted with this grief. And he goes on a little bit further and says, he was despised. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, Dwayne. I thought he already used that word despised. He did. And when the Bible mentions a word twice like that, it's for emphasis. It's as if the prophet is saying, do you understand what I am saying? Do you get it? That he was considered worthless. That he was considered below consideration. He was not on anybody's prom date list. He was totally rejected. And we didn't care. Fast forward. It's a little while after Christmas, about 30 years after Christmas. And we come upon John chapter 1 and verse number 10 and verse number 11. He came into the very world he created. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 17, the Bible talks about how he created the world. Everything's are held together. Everything consists by him. I saw something last night that was incredible. It's, I don't know why we haven't heard about it before, but it's called the, the Starlink. And, it's, and they, evidently, they, they launch these satellites, and they're in groups. And last night at 9.09 over Harrisburg, I'm looking toward the western sky saying, what is this going to look like? And all of a sudden, man, it's incredible. There were like 25 small lights in the sky, all grouped together in a long train, a link. And here they go across the sky. And apparently, again, this happens every night in different parts of the world, but it happened over Harrisburg. And I realized, as magnificent as all of that is, it's magnificent what man did, look what God did. And see the beautiful stars and the moon that he created. He came into this very world he created. The world didn't even recognize him. He came into his own people, and even they rejected him. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Rejected so you could be accepted. Paul Harvey, not the radio guy, E. Paul Harvey, another guy said this, men do not reject the Bible or its message because it contradicts itself. I mean, I know people say that. Well, the Bible's full of contradictions. That's only because they haven't read it. Have you ever read the Bible? No, but it's full of contradictions. How do you know that? Well, somebody told me. You know, men don't reject the Bible or its message because it contradicts itself, but it, because it contradicts them. All of a sudden, they start realizing, and they say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. If this book is true, and if the Bible's real, and if there is a God who created, then that means A plus B plus C equals D, and that means that I'm a sinner, and it means that I am separated from God, and that if I die without, you know, without God, then I'm going to spend eternity in a place called hell. If all of a sudden you start adding things up, it gets pretty hard. So they choose to ignore. If I don't believe in God, then I don't have to go to hell. Really? That won't work well. That won't work well. If there's a God, there's a God. 
And we can ignore and, you know, and reject his message because it contradicts our lifestyle and who we are, but it doesn't change the reality of who and what the Word of God is. So now we fast forward three years. We go from the beginning of his ministry to the end. They take him and they have a mock trial after the garden. They put him on a cross. They nail spikes through his wrist and through his feet. They lift him up again. As he struggles to breathe, he pulls up so he can breathe, and then the pain collapses, and he literally begins to suffocate to death. We can't even imagine that kind of pain. But the great rejection, the ultimate rejection, has nothing to do with that and everything to do with what else is going on. The Bible says in the book of uh, Matthew, in chapter 27, verse 45, it said, Now from the sixth hour, which on the Jewish clock, that is noon, so uh, from noon uh, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. So from noon, from noon until three o'clock in the afternoon, God turns out the lights. God turns out the lights. The sun goes dark. It's, if you remember the eclipse from, from several years ago and the one coming up next year, you remember how all of a sudden it got darker and darker and darker and you were amazed and you were shocked because it really was like dark at noon. It was that day. But it had nothing to do with the eclipse. For three hours, God turned out the lights. Why? Why? In the process of the crucifixion, we know what was happening physically, but ever thought about what's happened spiritually? Every sin, somebody say every sin. Every sin of every man, of every woman, and every child ever born, ever born, suddenly is on the man on the cross. In fact, Paul goes so far to say in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he who knew no sin became sin. Not only did he put the sin on him, he literally became this sin. And perhaps in mercy, as he hung there naked before the world, God turns out the lights. God turns out the lights. And then our teaching point tells us this. Isaiah's prophecy became reality one Friday afternoon. He was despised. He was rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. On that day, Jesus experienced what can only be described as the ultimate rejection. The Bible says in the next verse, in verse number, number 46, and about the ninth hour, about three o'clock in the afternoon, about the time of the evening sacrifice, Jesus cries out with a loud voice saying, Eli! Eli! Lama back tonight! My God! My God! Why have you forsaken me? Oh, do you sense? The pain of the cross? Do you sense the loneliness of the man on the cross? 
Something that's never happened before, never happened, will happen again, happens now. That God, his father, turns his back on his own son. Why? Because holy God could not look upon sin. So the lights are out. And the father turns his back. This is so difficult that some theologians try their best to explain it. Surely God wouldn't turn his back on his son. He did. And you know why? He did it for you. He did it for you. He did it for you. Jesus, Jesus did what he did. And God did what he did for us. That rejection we could be accepted. You know, the reason is simple. Our, our teaching point says this. The answer is found throughout the Bible, and it is. The Bible has one continuous theme, and it's a story of love and redemption from God to us. The answer is found throughout the Bible, but it's crystal clear in John three sixteen. I know, I know, I know. We know that one, don't we? But do you really know it? For God so loved you, that he gave to a Roman cross his only begotten son, that the whosoever's, regardless of skin color, no matter how long your sin list or short your sin list, no matter how deep your sin is, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. How amazing is that? I had to, we didn't use this scripture in the first service, so we didn't have time, and really don't have time now, but you've got to see it. Listen again. Let's go back that 700 years before the cross. Look what Isaiah wrote, 700 years. He was pierced because of our rebellion. Pierced, the nails and the wrists and feet. He was pierced for our rejection. He was crushed like the wine press. He was crushed because of our iniquities, our sin. The punishment for our peace was on him. The wrath of God, the wrath of God was poured out on the man on the cross, not because of what he did, but because what we did. The punishment for our peace was on him. And yet we're healed by his wounds. And we don't have to go time to go into that. But it's not talking about healing physically. It's talking about spiritual healing. That's the context. That's the context. We could be healed. By his wounds. The Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was rejected so you could be accepted. He was rejected so you could be accepted. And listen to this, verse 10. Yet the Lord was pleased. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. And that sounds sadistic, but it's not. It's beautiful. God was willing to do, oh my goodness. God was willing to do whatever it took to win your love, to forgive your sins, to allow you to be a part of the family. He was willing to do whatever it took, and what it took was him to crush his son Jesus severely. Billy Graham says this, and we'll close with this. The cross shows us the seriousness of our sin. The cross shows us the seriousness of our sin, but it also shows us the immeasurable love of God. Amen? Now, here, here's what I want you to get. Here's what I want you to take home. If you're here today 
and you are a Jesus follower, you've committed your life to Christ, man, don't ever forget how serious our sin was, but how much God loves you. And then, if you're here today and you've not yet become a Jesus follower, I'm not talking about getting your daily dose of religion. I'm not talking about becoming a Baptist. I'm not talking about joining a church. I'm not talking about starting habits and starting habits and those kind of things. I'm not talking about that. If you've never made a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have never understood and received the great grace of God, today's your day. And if you will do that, the cross is going to show you, yes, the seriousness of your sin, that God would do whatever it took to win you to his family, but how much God loves you. I know. You've been listening, haven't you? You've been out on the streets, haven't you? And your neighbor said, yeah, if God was so good, why would he allow this or allow that? Has he ever brought up the cross that God did what he did because he loved you so much? That he allowed his son to be crushed on a Roman cross so that you could be part of the family, so you could have forgiveness of sins, so you could spend eternity with him in heaven. How amazing is that? How amazing. Well, Dwayne, how do I do this? What's up with this? Well, it's really, it's so simple. It's like an ABC thing, and I'm not going to use the ABC thing, but the bottom line is this. The Bible clearly says over and over and over again, we are saved by grace, but through faith. In other words, we simply choose to believe. We, we acknowledge that we're sinners, but we choose to believe that Jesus did what we talked about today, that he died on a cross for your sins. His, he didn't have any iniquity. He died for your iniquity, your sin. So, so we acknowledge we're sinners, and then we believe that he died for our sins. Okay, and then by faith we believe and we turn away from our sin and we become a Jesus follower. We choose to follow him. That doesn't mean you'll always get it right. And you sure doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. But it means you choose to follow Jesus. And that's, what it, that's how you go to heaven. That's how, that's how you accept this acceptance, receive this acceptance. He, was, he turned his back on acceptance and was rejected so you could be accepted. So how about today? How about today? I don't know what you expected when you came today, but if you're already a Jesus follower, just about now, you'd be just saying, God, thank you so much. Thank you for letting me see it again and again and again. Don't let it ever grow old. Every time, just make it fresh to me, Father, this great sacrifice that Jesus did for me. So if you're a Jesus follower, receive that today and praise his holy name. If you're not, don't let religion turn you away. Don't let the hypocrites in, the, in this church or another church turn you away. Receive the greatest gift ever, God's forgiveness. He was rejected so you could be accepted. Would you bow your heads, please? This is our time of decision. The altar is going to be open. If you want to come and pray for someone or perhaps something going on in your life, um, this is our decision time. Brother Brent will be down front. He'll be here to pray with you. Uh, if there's a decision you need to make about Christ or joining our church or whatever it might be, he'll be here to counsel with you and walk you through that. You know, we do what we do to glorify God every Sunday. And I know there's a zillion churches, but you came here, and I'm glad you did. I just want you to know that. We're honored with your presence today. But if you're here today and you've never received this gift, Let's make it Christmas morning. Let's receive the great gift of God's love and acceptance. Father, thank you for what you have done. Thank you for what you want to do in the lives of your people today. 
May this time be your time. In Jesus, I pray in your precious name. Amen.